right, all right, all right, all right. Welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. It's sat it's Sunday morning, 10 o'clock PST, 1 o'clock EST. I have a very, 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 very special friend on today. She's Alana, and she's in New York. And um, we met during pandemic um, in recovery circles via Zoom. And I think we just be vibing. Like, we've been vibing for a while. She's, she's a good friend. And I'm so happy to have you on the show. Welcome to the corner. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so, you know, usually the way I told you earlier, the way that we do this is we, we delve into your background, uh, where you grew up, where you were born and all that. And then we get into the other stuff. Then we get into the recovery. So first and foremost, where where were you born? I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. In Bensonhurst. Mm -hmm. And then I moved out to Staten Island when Staten I was 15. Island. Yeah. And you're Italian? I'm Italian, yeah, full Italian. Full Italian, 100%. Sicilian and Abledon, yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. <laughs> and uh, what was it like? What was New York, growing up in New York, what was it like growing up there? Um, I loved it. You know, my nanny lived, all right, so we had a house. My nanny lived on the bottom. My grandfather lived in the middle. And my family lived upstairs in the apartment. And um, and it was great. You know, we, we just, the kids everywhere, we hung out. I played basketball outside my house. And all the kids from the neighborhood would just show up. And we would just get to know each other. Um, you know, it was a lot of fun hanging out on the corners, going to the pizzeria. I lived right by 86th Street where all the shopping is. It was a lot of fun growing up in Brooklyn. Okay. Did you have any siblings or anything like that? I have a brother. He's three years younger than me. All right. And uh, you, so like your childhood life was good. Everything was good. New York was fun. I know, you know New York's just a lot of fun. It's just grown like that. that I love the city. I love everything about New York whenever I go out there, except for the crime, which is very much like L.A. Ain't nobody liked crime. But um, so how was like in school? How were you? Did you do well? Were you plastic? Huh. In the beginning, so I guess when I was younger, um, I skipped a grade. I skipped like pre, because I'm born in January. So they skipped me because I, I knew a lot more than the other kids. Um, so I was really smart up until maybe second or third grade. I think I, uh, I, I made honors a lot up until maybe the fifth grade because then my brother was born and all the attention went on him. So I was able to get away with not doing my homework because they, they focus on him more. So I would just lie and said I did my homework. So my grades went down. And then um, in seventh grade, I got made fun of every single day uh, from seventh to eighth grade. And so my Why? grades plummeted. Um, Cause I was too skinny. I was not attractive. Um, I was flat chested. So they all abused me every single day, reminding me of how unattractive I was. So, so you're talking about the kids in school would make fun of you and say you're I mean, look at you. You're you're beautiful. Like, how? Why would they make fun of you? If I could show you a picture of what I looked like in seventh grade, you might understand. <laughs> I was skinnier than I am now. I yeah. had it was horrible. But um, and I think during like seventh and eighth grade, especially, we we have that puberty phase. And we we're we're changing and evolving physically, and I think it's like the, our most insecure time of trying to fit in. But but I understand. I get that. So yeah. So then when you uh when you were like in seventh and eighth grade, were you, had you started experimenting with anything like drugs, alcohol? When was the first time you drank? Well, since I skipped a grade, everybody was way older than me, which is, you know, another thing that, that happened in that. So 
I think in seventh grade, I had my first beer, seventh or eighth grade, I don't remember. And um, I only had it to look cool. I didn't have it to get drunk because, but I did, I know I remember wanting to feel different. I was like, ooh, it makes you feel happy. It makes you feel different. I really want to feel it. So I would be at the, the cool kid's house and, um, you know, they, they, I had a beer. Uh-huh. I didn't feel anything, but I pretended that I did just to look cool. I was like, wow, I'm so drunk right now. And, and I wasn't. Um, You're faking I, I faked it. Yeah. I don't remember when I first felt drunk. I really don't. Um, but I know that once I did, I, I, I loved it and I didn't stop. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. uh, then what happened? Like, was, were other kids in your school, uh, especially at these parties and stuff, were they mostly drinking? Was there kids doing drugs? Did you have any? Just drinking. Yeah, Just drinking. no drugs. In was, seventh grade, no drugs now. Okay, was it mostly beer? Was it hard liquor? Was it all of it? It was just a beer, a six pack of beer. I don't remember any hard liquor. Yeah, it was that party phase, like with high school parties, there was lots of beer. Okay, and then what? Like, what happened? Uh, Then I reached high school, um, which is where I smoked pot for the first time and I threw up everywhere. Swore (laughs) I'd never do it again, but I obviously I did. Um, So yeah, in high school is when the the alcohol and the drugs came in. Mm-hmm. Um, I also moved to Staten Island when I was 15. So I was able to recreate my identity. So in Brooklyn, I wasn't popular and I got made fun of. Um, but when I moved out to Staten Island, I mimicked the cool kids in Brooklyn and I pretty much um, acted the way they acted. So I was actually popular in high school. <laughs> so um and that's where I, I mean, we're allowed to speak about drugs here, right? You can speak about anything you want. All right. So at 15 is when I discovered ecstasy. And that feeling was amazing. I, all of my insecurities out the window. Um, I would go to clubs with my friends and I would, you know, I'd be like this. And I'd be like, everybody's looking at me. Everybody's watching me. They're going to make fun of me because that's what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as I took that pill, everything went away. I started dancing. I didn't care what I looked like. Um, I was able to talk to guys, you know, I I was so confident. And so I was like, this is what I'm going to do until I become an adult. I'm going to, um, do this pill. So, and and especially when you go to clubs at 15, you, you can't drink, you know, obviously there's a drinking limit. So I took that pill and it was amazing. So wait, so just, let me understand something here. At 15, you were able to take ecstasy and go to clubs like kids. What kind of clubs are we talking? Are we talking like raves, undergrounds? Are we talking like the type of gr- clubs that people are throwing in, like warehouses? Like not a not a nightclub, but like a club that that people are partying and doing like the designer drugs, the rave type drugs. It was. Uh, they were teen nights. They were called teen nights, and um, it wasn't like an underground or anything. It was just basically, I don't know. I don't know if it was a restaurant first and then they turned it into a club, but it was basically just a club, you know, mm-hmm. on the block and, and all the teenagers would go and music DJ and yeah, it wasn't. Nice. Yeah. So being Italian, did you like the neighborhood that you grew up in New York? Was it mostly Italian? Was it all Italians? Um, it was Italians and um, we was Hasidic Jews also. So there was okay. Hasidic Jews, okay. there was Russians, yeah. So. And so, like on teen, on teen night, all these kids are from the neighborhood. Everybody knows each other, or what? People from other neighborhoods would come and just kind of blend in together and party together. Yeah, pretty much. All yeah, it would be all of us blending together, but it would be mostly from like 
our Catholics, like I went to Catholic school, so it would be, you know, from all the Catholic high schools um, that were surrounding the area. So, but uh, I just only remember, you know, everybody was Italian in, in Catholic school at the time, you know, and yeah. some that weren't, but yeah. And so, Italians. so when you were, besides the drinking, like let's say the, the little pill, like I understand it, it broke down the insecurities and you actually felt more, more secure. You could talk to people, men and all that. But did you feel like you were a sinner being a Catholic? No. Okay. <laughs> Not one bit. <laughs> May, let me think. Because now that you said that, um, something in my stomach kind of reminded me. I think I, think I was scared that I was going to be punished by God. I think, because that's how I grew up thinking, like, if you do the wrong thing, you're going to be punished by God. So I do think, and I think I remember asking God for forgiveness, but then doing it again. So, you know what? Yeah, probably. I think think definitely the way that we grow up, depending on our demographic and our, like, the the culture, like, I'm Persian. So, like, it was, there was high expectations of, of types, like, from my parents, my family, our our extended family, everybody's educated. And, and like, I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm doing like cocaine. Like I'm doing, like, like I'm doing ecstasy. Like these are, they're good. They feel good, but they're bad. Like if my mother knew right now that I'm doing this stuff, um, she, you know, I'll, I'll probably feel the wrath of her, let alone the wrath of God, if there's such thing as a God. And so I, I was really on the fence with the whole God, but you've heard my story. I was, I was never really sure of what I wanted to be yeah. sure of. Plus, when you're doing stuff, you don't want to think that way. You just want to have fun. And so um, so you were having fun. I mean, you were young, right? Everybody yeah. else is having fun. You're, you're fitting in. And so then what? Like, did you keep on partying throughout your high school years? Um, I, I used to get punished a lot. And I remember when my mom would pick me up from the clubs I would be so nervous because I was high on ecstasy. And so I talked a lot, just, I don't know. I thought maybe I could fool her and her and my dad figured it out. And they didn't punish me because I think they were, they were so nervous and concerned. And I was so scared. I was scared shit. And um, they were just kind of like concerned, like, you know, we want, you know, we want to help you. We don't want you to. And I think I stopped doing it after that. And I just started drinking a lot. Um, I stopped the drugs. up until a certain age, and then I went back to drugs. Okay, so you were drinking at that point. Were you drinking in excess? Or were you just drinking to get buzz? Like, what kind of a drinker were you in those years? I was drinking to get drunk. Drunk, you know? like straight up smashed, right? Yes, yes. And then yes. you were what? How old were you then? Like 16, 17, about that age? 15, 16. I remember uh, throwing up everywhere when I was 15. I had a boyfriend and I threw up all over his car. So, um, <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, from, from 16, 17, uh, 16 on, you know, I would drink to get drunk. It was the cool thing to do. All of us did it, you know, so. And, and alcohol was easily accessible. What were you like getting it from your parents' liquor cabinet or were you having people in the neighborhood that could, that could just obtain it easy? Yeah. We had friends that were older that, that would um, get it for us. Um, I would probably steal liquor from my grandfather cause he had a ton of it. Um, he was also an alcoholic. Or I would just steal whatever my parents had because they barely okay. used it. So, yeah, whatever we could do to get it. Okay. So you were, you, you say you were throwing up a lot. Was any, was there any wreckage that was starting to be created in your life to where you, where people were starting to look at you like, you know what, you're, were you doing bad in school? Yeah. I didn't care much about school. Um, 
I didn't do that did great. You graduate? I did. I graduated high school. Um, I cheated or, you know, copied off the smart kid in front of me. Um, there were times where I did really study, but um, I just, I remember one time I was sick. I had like a hundred fever and I took Advil. I took so much Advil to get rid of that fever so that it was a Friday. And I didn't want my mom to know that I was sick because then she wouldn't allow me to go to the club. It's like, I needed to be in that club. I needed to be drunk. I needed to feel that feeling of I have arrived. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't give a crap about high school or anything. I just, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out later. I'll copy off the cool kid, whatever. I didn't make honors, nothing. I just passed by the skin of my teeth. Okay. So. And there wasn't any talk of like, you need to go to rehab. It wasn't that bad. No. Okay. So then when you finished high school, what did you do then? Did you go to college or anything like that? Yeah. I went to St. John's university in Staten Island and um, I've just partied a lot and my mom and I was failing. And so my mom took me out. She's like, I'm not paying $30,000 a semester for you to fail. And so I went to the college of Staten Island where I got kicked out because my drinking started to get bad. So I wouldn't, you know, I, I, three absences and you fail and I missed so many classes, um, you know, so I got kicked out of CSI because I would come to school hungover. I'd fall asleep on a desk drooling everywhere. It was a, it was a mess. What so. were you studying in school? What was your goal? Like what, what was your, I didn't care at the time. I you just didn't care. Arts, liberal, whatever the hell, just whatever. I didn't care. I just wanted to where, where were you living during that time? Uh, with my parents, Staten Island. Oh, with, with your parents. Okay. So you got kicked out of school. Kicked out of CSI. And then I had to go to Kingsborough Community College in Brooklyn to get my grades up to then be able to go back to CSI. And so. did you go back to CSI? I did. I graduated, I think, in 2010 with an associate's degree. Was it 2010? Because I kind of took it seriously. I was still drinking and stuff, but I, I got really nervous that I couldn't just wing it and pass the way I did in high school and grammar school. So I got my grades up and then I went back to CSI. Um, I went back to CSI. Oh, I went back to CSI years later. I forgot. Yeah, year, I just I just um, graduated with a bachelor's degree in 2018. I was sober for it, but I took off of, as soon as I graduated at Kingsborough, I was done with school. I got a you know an associate's degree, leave me alone. I want to drink, that's it. So yeah. You were mostly a drinker. There wasn't like, you weren't doing drugs, right? At 23 years old, I was in a club and I think I was on medication and um, and I was passing out. I was falling asleep. I couldn't stay awake. My friends didn't want to leave. So one of my friends took me into the bathroom and she said, try this. And it was cocaine. And it was amazing. And ever since then, I was obsessed. You know, is it, is it going to be there? Is it going to be coke there? You're going to have it, right? Well, can I have some here? I have money. Just take whatever, you know? And, you know, it would start with a 20 bag. Then a couple of years later, it would start. Then it would go to a fifty bag, then a hundred bag. You know, it's just I needed. I needed it every time I drank. I needed cocaine. It was just oh, like, so cocaine was in the mix. Yeah, and that, makes it, and that makes it a lot easier to be able to drink all night yeah. long. Yep, exactly. Yep. All right. So, so you finished school and everything, but you were still partying and all that. So, so you got sober what at twenty eight, right? Yeah. And you and I have been having this little conversation about. Is it young? Is it not young? Like to me personally, at 28, I knew that my life wasn't really going in the right direction, but uh, to get sober was not a thought, like not yet, right? It, it hadn't even occurred to me that sobriety exists. I didn't know what that meant. All I knew was I just knew how to get messed up. So 
what happened uh, that you, was there a crisis? Like, did you go to treatment or what happened that you decided to get sober? You know, before one of my rock bottoms, I would wake up every day and be like, why can't I get this? You know, I would promise my parents I wasn't going to drink. I would promise them that I wouldn't get that bad. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't keep that promise. Mm -hmm. And um, one day I, I got, you know, I, I was at a boyfriend's house. I woke up at 10 o'clock in the morning. I had to go home. I, I took my bottle of Bacardi Dragonberry and I chugged as much as I could 10 o'clock in the morning. And I drove home with an open bottle of Bacardi in my passenger seat. Mm -hmm. And um, I hit a car on the, not hard, but on the expressway, I hit a car. I think I broke their mirror and I just kept going because I knew I was so drunk that if the cops came, I was getting arrested immediately. There's no yeah. way I was, you know, seeing double. So I just kept going. Um, they caught up with me later on. Thank God they didn't, they didn't pull me over then. And then I go home, I walk into my house drunk and it's very blurry. I don't really remember much, but I know that I got into a huge fight with my dad and my brother. Mm -hmm. And, um, and my dad kicked me out, you know, I, I was out of control. I was punching him, uh, you know, and my dad had no choice but to like restrain me. Mm -hmm. And he kicked me out and I said, F you, you know, I'm gonna, Brooklyn is where I, I remained. Like I lived in Staten Island, but I would always go to Brooklyn to drink and do my, my other substances. So, um, so I got kicked out, but I've been kicked out before, but this was the worst because my dad actually took everything in my room and threw it out on the front lawn, including my bed. When I saw my bed, my mattress <laughs> on the front lawn, it looked like a garage sale. I knew that I was dead. Like I knew I was not allowed back in that house. And so I went to a friend's house and I slept on her couch mm -hmm. that weekend. So. so you said that you were driving under the influence. Did you do that often? Yes. Yeah. Oh, and you never got a DUI or anything like that? No. And you know, the funniest thing, um, it was a Monday and I was wrecked and I called um, one of the dealers and I was like, you know, meet me on third Avenue, um, whatever. And then I wound up getting into a fender bender because I was texting. And so I bumped into the lady in front of me. So now the cops had to come. And what I said to my dealer was, meet me on th so while the cops are assessing the situation and everything i'm sneaking away i'm guys i'll be right back i just have to use the bathroom in the pizzeria to still to still pick up my substance <laughs> and then walk you know and and then walk back to the car with a bag of cocaine in my pocket like all right guys are we ready now because i really need to party i didn't say that to them but this was my thought process i wasn't scared it was a monday so there's no way they suspected that i was drunk because who drinks on a monday right. um you can work you know so uh, that was really, really crazy. But um, but yeah, no, I never got in trouble. I never got pulled over, thank God. I never killed anybody, thank God. So yeah. Okay, so with, with your dad uh, kicking you out of the house and all that, where did you go stay? I stayed at my friend's house in Brooklyn. I stayed on and, her couch. And for how long? It's a blur. I think a couple of days um, because she was keeping in touch with my mom and my therapist. Um, and they gathered a plan for me to go to outpatient. And my dad said that I'm only allowed to move back into my house if I get help. And that was in September of 2013, where I where I surrendered and said, all right, fine, I'm going to go and get help. Nice. So you already had a therapist too, because you were just seeing a therapist as it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
and then dad gave you this ultimatum and that meant you could move back into his house, but you got to do outpatient. Yeah. Did you have to get detoxed for the cocaine no. or the alcohol? No. So you just cold turkey it like you decided to stay, get sober and stay sober with no, no medical attention. Yeah. Cause I only drank like Thursday, Friday, Saturday uh -huh. and Sunday. Binge I'm sorry. Like binge drinking. Yeah, because then Monday through Thursday, I would be healthy, feeling really good. I'd be at work. I mean, there's times where I called. I, I had a, there's times where I called out of work every Monday and Friday because I would be, I, I did it so bad on the weekend that I just couldn't move from my bed. But usually Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Thursday, I was, I was good. But Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I ruined myself. So no, I did not have to detox. Um, so I didn't have any medical attention. I just, I went to outpatient and uh, they wanted to, they wanted to put me in rehab because I didn't get sober in September of 2013. That was a rock bottom of mine. But I, you know, in outpatient, they told me I couldn't ever drink again. I just wanted to get rid of my cocaine habit. You know, teach me how to drink responsibly. That's what I thought they were going to do. They were going to teach me how to just have a couple and still have fun and to get rid of that substance issue. That's not, so they were basically telling me you can never drink again. And I panicked. And so I, I challenged them and I tried to drink on my own. I tried to control it. I gave myself a curfew, a drink limit. I switched from alcohol to, or liquor to beer or no shot. Like I tried everything. And so that's why I got sober January 1st of 2014 because, you know. Okay. So during the outpatient, you, you didn't stay sober. Obviously that's what you just said. Did they, were they testing you? Like were, were they testing you for alcohol too? They were testing me for alcohol, but all they did was use the, the swab. Like if I drank on a Friday, Saturday, my outpatient was on a Monday. There's no way you're going to find out if I drank on a Friday and Saturday, but I got drug tested for, for substances. But somehow I, I think because I did it on the weekend, maybe it was out of my system on a Monday or I don't remember. I did stay sober for a month and a half. I remember. And then I rewarded myself with a trip to Miami. And uh, and there was no cocaine out there, so I did Molly instead. And when there's I got no, back, I think, no cocaine in Miami is it? Is that even possible? <laughs> this guy did offer it to me, and my yeah. friend flipped out because she knew I was, you know, I was in trouble with that stuff. Yeah, she flipped out and, and threw it out of my hands and, and gave it back to the guy and said, "Get this stuff out of here." So there was, but I didn't get a chance to use it because my friend stopped it. Um, but she didn't know I had Molly on me, so <laughs> got away with that one. Okay, so you partied down there in Miami, and then what? Um, then I, it was Halloween, so I came back, and I, I tried to – I said, I'm just going to drink in Miami. When I come back, I'm going to go back to not drinking again. And so I went out to a Halloween party, and I was trying so hard, and they brought out champagne, and I said, oh, it's only champagne. I could drink this. Mm -hmm. So I drank the champagne, and, of course, I started to go back to, to what I normally drink. I got wrecked. I don't even think I went home that night. I don't remember. Okay. So then finally you decided it's time to get help, like to quit, quit. December 31st of 2013, I tried one last time to do this on my own. Um, I went out to eat with somebody, somebody I was dating at the time. And um, I said to myself, I'm just going to have one glass of wine. Mm -hmm. As soon as the wine, as soon as, the wine started to reach the bottom of the glass, I started to panic. 
like, no, 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 this can't be, this can't be. I need more. All right. But I gave myself a drink limit. So my mind said, if the waiter fills up the same glass with wine, it still counts as one because he didn't take the glass away and give me a new glass. So it still counts as one. <laughs> and so I ran with that. And I and that's what made me feel better. And then we went back to my house to watch the bowl drop. He went to the bathroom and I found a bottle of maybe whiskey or scotch or something in my parents' house. And I chugged as much as I could before he got out of that bathroom. And then I persuaded him to go to my friend's house where I knew he had substances. And, um, and, I, and you know, that one, that one drink turns into a blackout using again. And so when I woke up on January 1st, I was like, wow, these counselors were right. I cannot control my drinking. And I was so depressed because it's like, how am I going to have fun? You know, everybody's going out. How, how am I going to have fun? Like, you know, yeah. I, I can't have fun sober. I didn't think I could. So then where did you go then? Did you go back home to your parents? Yeah, I was I was with my parents and I went back to outpatient and because I was lying about being sober at my outpatient. Mm -hmm. And I finally said to them, you know, I've been drinking and I, I flipped out on them. I was like, you don't know what it's like. Like, what did you do? You read a book, you graduated uh, college, you have a degree, and now you're gonna tell me what it's like not to drink, that, that I can't drink, and because a drug is a drug is a drug and all that crap that you're telling me, like, what are you doing? You're not helping me. And if it wasn't for my counselor breaking her anonymity, I don't know if I would have stayed. I, I don't know if I'd still be here right now. She said to me, actually, I'm 25 years sober. And she put me right in my place and that's when I started to listen because she actually knew what I was going through. And then it was easier to, to cling on to her and, and ask her to help me. It was like that moment of clarity. It was a relief. It was like, right. well, all right, okay, I'm with somebody that actually gets it, you know? And it was, and you know what? I didn't know all the other counselors <laughs> were also in recovery because they didn't out themselves. Right. Um, but one of my counselors did and that, I think that changed my life. That, that made me, want to try this thing, but I didn't think I was going to last seven and a half years. I thought, you know, I, I turned 29 in the process right. and I figured I would just stay sober for that year. And then when I turned 30, you know, it's 30, you got to right. drink for your 30th, you know? <laughs> and I figured I would just stay sober that year and get wrecked for my 30th, you know, and, and that I'd be cured by then. Cause it's a year, you know? Right. Uh, but you I didn't. Was, no, no, I didn't. Cause I got a sponsor. Um, I went through the 12 steps. She introduced me to a large sober network. And before you knew it, I was sponsoring. And the phenomenon of craving lifted. And um, I was able to go to to uh, to clubs without wanting to drink, you know? Um, I was able to dance without drinking. I couldn't, I never thought that would be possible. I was able to have fun and laugh without drinking. You know, it's really interesting to hear the whole evolution of your experience like through through drinking through using I, I very much relate to lots of it the fact that you were seeing a therapist obviously there was probably some stuff going on in your life to where you had to, to go and do therapy and and then on top of that you, you you got these drugs you got this alcohol in the mix anything to numb out whatever whatever we're feeling right but um what i really what really stands out to me a lot and means a lot to me is not just the fact that you got sober young because a lot of people get sober young. The problem is, is a lot of people get sober young and they'll stay sober a couple of years and then they'll, they'll think, you know what? 
maybe I'm not an alcoholic. Maybe I'm not an addict. Maybe I wasn't so bad. Maybe I, I've just made too much out of all this stuff. Maybe like, maybe I could go drink like a gentleman or a gentlewoman, right? Like maybe I could still test the waters and, or, or the justifications that you talk about in your head, like how would I not drink at 30, right? But then some people come into recovery and it seems like they're here to stay. And, and, and the reason I say that is because they do the work. And you just said it like you you got a sponsor, you got into the steps and and then you you started sponsoring other people. It's altruism. It's what we do. We help people selflessly because for a long time we were selfish and self-centered. So and then I see people that do come and get sober and they stay with sober for a number of years and they do the whole process. They do the 12 steps and they spot they sponsor people. But then something happens in their life where they end up going back out. You know what I mean? And, and that's sad. And I know that it happens. I tend to wonder, like, why does it happen? I think sometimes it could be because there was really not a full surrender or we don't really truly trust in a higher power. We become our own higher power again and we take back our will and then we end up loaded again. And so um, I, 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 I admire the fact that you're now, you know, seven and a half years sober and that you've taken this thing by the horns and i i see you like i i've never met you in person but like we're friends on facebook and i see you you are actively out having a good time living your life joyous happy joyous and free and 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 you're in places where a lot of people are are still depending on substances to have fun but you're able to dance like you said this matters like it matters a lot no i i myself i go to clubs and a lot of people tell you when you're like when you're newly sober like you can't go to places where people are drinking you can't have alcohol in the house like you gotta you can't even like use listerine because it has alcohol in it and to each their own like if 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 a person is going to be tempted to drink because they're going to have alcohol in their listerine I feel bad for them because personally, like if I wanted to drink, I'll fucking get vodka. Like I'm not going to go and drink mouthwash. Although I know people that have drank hand sanitizer, mouthwash, you know, all those things because, because you never know. Everybody's different. So some people just depend on, on some kind of a head change, but, but like Alana, you're, you're, it seems to me like you're here to stay. Like, I love that. I really, really love that. And uh, what's more important than in any of that is that you help people that you help people look i just want you to see like right now you got uh this guy said you are so beautiful inside and out that's oh, I, sorry maybe it's a woman you want and then you got Ernest. that's who when i meant this guy i'm very proud to have you in my life you're such a beautiful human being inside and out don't let anyone tell you you're not gorgeous and well educated um you got a lot of people on here that are that are saying a lot of great things to you you know so i i just i think um what what are you doing with your life now in sobriety? How is it that you maintain your sobriety? Well, I want to point out one thing. Yes. I may be seven and a half years sober, but that does not mean that that um, pain doesn't happen. It's not a straight line of bliss. It's up and down, up and down, up and down. Last year, um, my sixth year of recovery, I stopped talking to my sponsor. I stopped praying to God. Um, I just started running on self-will. I hated you. I hated AA. I hated God. I hated everything. And I didn't realize it was because I hated myself. I realize that now. And so I started to act up. I, um, I made decisions that um, 
that could have brought me back out. And there was a point in my recovery last year where I know I'm powerless over alcohol. I know it makes my life unmanageable. And I know if I go back out there, I'm ruining my life. I did not care. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, maybe I'm not an alcoholic. I know I'm an alcoholic. Right. But I didn't give a shit last year. I mm -hmm. wanted to just, I was so angry that I wanted to hurt you all by me drinking. And we all know that's like being angry at other people expecting them to drink the poison and for them to die. But I, I forgot how that goes, but you know, it's one of those situations. And, um, and uh, something happened last year that scared me, caused me pain, a lot of fucking pain to the point where I finally got back on my knees and I begged God for peace. And I called my sponsor because I was heading for a drink. So the point is when you stop working your program, that's when you get, that's when, that's when I got sick for me, I stopped working my program. I got so sick that there was a chance where I could have relapsed. And I knew that one, once upon a time I had a higher power and that he restored me to sanity and he helped me stay sober. So I just tried it again. I went back to the basics of the beginning of my recovery. When I was a couple of months sober, I did, you know, I just went back to those basics and now at seven years sober, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know. It's just amazing. Uh, sponsoring other women keeps me sober. I think that's what kept me sober last year too, because I was sponsoring women and I knew that they looked up to me and that they needed me. And I love to help people. I help whoever I can um, in any state and whoever reaches out to me, I help them. And that's what keeps me sober today. So I maintain it by um, keeping in touch with my sponsor, listening to mostly everything that she says. I go to meetings, I have my hand out and I pray every, every night. I also do an affirmation list, a gratitude list, whatever it is I have to do to stay, <laughs> to stay sober and sane. So have you been uh, going to meetings in person or is it still just Zoom? No, I do both. both so if them. I come out there, you're going to take me to a meeting? Yes. Yes. I'll take you to a lot of them. Good. I want to see yeah. you. I want to see Adam. I'd love to. I want, I want you to just see like what people are writing on here. It's awesome. It's really, really warms my heart. I had the pleasure of having Alana as my sponsor, but yes, the mouthwash I couldn't even use because I thought I was relapsing. Vita <laughs> um, said, you're a role model for young people. Um, Jeremy Cox, I'm so glad to have you in my life and never giving up on me. You're an inspiration. You showed me the beautiful side of recovery. I'm forever grateful. Um, Jessica, you are inspiring to me. Um, Annie, we love you. Jamie. I relate to your story with, with uh, having to do cocaine when I drank. It always started with drinking and then wanting the drug. Um, here. What else we got? I have tears in my eyes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you had a choice and you got scared, but you made a choice to get back into your program instead of going out. Super proud of you. Um, what a strong and honest woman. That's Lynn. And uh, keeping it real New York. It's so comforting, comforting to hear these stories and experiences. Just knowing there's others with similar demons can make my goal seem more realistic, attainable. Thanks, Pejan, Alana. And, um, you know, you know what's really cool? The way New York shows up for, for, for you, like all your friends from out there. Like yeah. I, I love that. You know, that's and – and I don't think – they're probably – oh, Tommy Figs is even on here. Uh, <laughs> a run, but great job, Alana. Keep, keep doing you. And – Fustanya, uh, yes, you were my sister sponsor through my father, and that got me into AA, and we are all a sober family in AA now. And, you know, like, I see this stuff, and I think to myself, like, how the, 
how the fuck did we meet, me and you? It's like, I would have never known you. I would have never known you. A lot yeah. of people were freaking out about pandemic and what the fuck are we going to do? And I, I think I, talk, I talked to you about it not that long ago, but it's like, I remember walking out of the club that we usually go to down in Orange County, like where they said they're going to close the doors. And I thought, I'm not going to go on meetings like <laughs> online. Like that would be weird. Like, how does that even work? And within a week, I was like a Zoom whiz. I'm just like, oh, okay, wow. like pinning people's pictures and like, oh my God, that's how that person. And then the next thing you know, I'm like, I'm in New York meetings. I'm, I'm in Stockholm, Sweden meetings. I'm in meetings all over. And then I realized that during that time, if any person got sober during the pandemic, kudos to them. Like I, I give them mad props to be able to not even know what, it, what the experience is like to go into a real life room and see people that are in sobriety as opposed to like being on a computer screen. And, and it, it, it was a tough time, tough. A lot of people relapsed during the pandemic, but I believe that for us people in recovery, it was a gem of a time because it brought a lot of us together that we would have probably never met or we may have met, never met, but we, I met you and we vibed together right away. I was like, she's cool, man. She's like such a cool girl and she's plugged in. And, and to hear and see, like, the way people are describing you or talking about you, it's like um, people love us. Like, we become the best versions of ourselves, and we, we're able to be of maximum service to God and our fellows. And I, I love the fact that uh, that you have so many good friends. Are you happy? Are you comfortable in your skin now? I am very happy, and I've become more comfortable in my skin. But I was drinking from a young age. It's not going to take seven years to be fully comfortable in my skin, but I'm totally working on it. And I feel really, really good. I do. And I got another question for you. Do you like, as far as dating and stuff goes, when, when you're now being a sober woman, is this a hard thing to do? Because here, the reason I ask this is um, I've gone on dates, you know, I, first of all, when, when I'm, if I've ever used like any kind of like a, a dating app, like, Girls that have to like their profile pictures of them of them where like holding a wine glass, I usually avoid them because yeah, I'm like, I don't know where that's going. Like this girl's right. portraying herself as a drinker. Like I, I don't really want to. Not that I don't. I can't date somebody that, that drinks, but it's like it's hard, right? Like what? Tell yeah. me, have you had a lot of issues in that department? I am a terrible. I'm. <laughs> um, you can come to me for for advice on how to get sober. Do not come to me for advice on relationship. How to relationship. I have the worst, the stories that I have, first of all, I only want to date somebody in AA because they speak the same language. I'm heavily involved um, and we get each other. And when I first got into the program, they said, don't date in early recovery. And what did I do? I dated in early recovery and uh, me and this person both had the same amount of time. And, uh, the breakup was so painful that it almost took me back out. So now I see why you don't date in early recovery, but I didn't stop there. I just kept dating, dating everybody and every guy in AA. You know, um, I think I tried once to date somebody outside of AA and uh, it just felt uncomfortable because they, then they say to you, no, he didn't really drink. You could have one one day, right? You, you, could, you don't have to be in AA forever, right? And I'm just right. like, this is why I date in AA because like you guys don't, understand i cannot just have one i have one and that phenomenon of craving hits and that's it i can't stop but people out there normal people don't get us and i don't get them i don't get how they could just have one drink and go home how could you stop at three i don't get you you don't get me let's leave it at that but right. my dating history in aa is horrendous you can ask 
any of my friends. Um, I have 13 steps. Do not do it. It's terrible. Uh, it's just, it, just yeah, just horrible. You know, it, it's interesting. Like you sometimes hear uh, people in meetings talk about, uh, and I met my wife on AA campus, right? And so, like that used to inspire me. I'd be like, oh, okay, then shit. I'll go to more mixed meetings and see if yeah. I can meet my future wife on AA campus. And then, like, I started dating some girls that were in the program, and. They became it was a shit show. I'm talking like tumultuous as fuck to the point and I, I know the exact nature of my wrongs. Like I I painted those red flags green. Like that that's and I, I got to learn got to learn got to learn from the experience. But I'll tell you, like, um I, <laughs> She's some, some of my friends tell me things like uh yeah, you shouldn't date girls in the program. Like, why not? Because I, I do see if I, I believe if if a man and a woman are in, in recovery and both are truly working the recovery. I believe love can evolve perfectly. And, and as long as they're not taking each other's inventory and they're not like pointing each other's character defects out all the time, because sometimes people, it's human nature. People cannot help it. Like, have you called your sponsor lately or things like that? They don't even yeah. say all that stuff, right? But, but I think that a lot of relationships that are of people in recovery don't work because the people may not really, really be engaged in their own recovery process and might be pointing the finger more than they're actually pointing the finger at themselves. Yeah. So I still believe in love. I believe it's possible. Um, I know it hasn't been easy, but I think that was probably one of the things that was hardest for us to deal with was our, was our, own, our own selves. That's why we probably drank and used a lot because of the insecurities and the issues that we had and the character defects that, that were our driving force for a long time. So I, um, I, I, I understand that, you know. Is there anything that you want to say before we close it out that could be, and I mean, you already inspired a lot of people today, but be inspirational mostly for young people or people that are struggling. What you got to say? Um, well, you can still have fun sober. And I know coming into the program as a young person, you're thinking my life is over and I'm never going to be able to have fun again. I know for me, um, Drinking is what gave me my personality. Drinking is what gave me my self-esteem. Drinking made me confident. And um, through this program, I was able to, to be confident on my own. Um, my biggest advice is get a sober network. Because if your sponsor is not available, you have 100 other people that you can call. I remember when I was a couple of months sober, I hung out with this sober network. And we were up till 3 o'clock in the morning playing games, laughing hysterically. And I looked around and I was like, oh my God, I'm having fun sober. I cannot believe that I can actually have fun sober. And then gradually, you know, getting enough time, I was invited to a birthday party and there was drinking and everything. And I was able to be there and have fun and dance. Like you can have fun sober. You are able to get everything that you wanted to get while drinking sober. I have a job that I stayed at for seven years. I'm still there, seven years. I don't know how, because I never kept a job that long. I have an education that my mind told me I can never get. Um, I moved out of my parents' house. I didn't think that I was ever good enough. Every time my brain told me I was not good enough, you know, it, it's just your disease lying to you. Just ignore it, get a sponsor, get a sober network, pretty much. That's how I, I see it. I love it, I love yeah. it, I love it, I love it. Okay, well, I really appreciate you being on here. I've been wanting to have you on for a couple of months now. It finally happened. Yeah. Um, look for me soon. I will be out your way, and you, you need to show me around in the in the recovery yeah. area, you know, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I hope that you have a good rest of your Sunday, and thank you, thank you, thank you.
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good rest of your day. Bye, Thank guys. You. Thanks for everyone that tuned in. Bye, guys.